today's program I think you're going to enjoy. It's a, a little off the, uh, the current events, so to speak, beaten path. Not that we focus that much, but obviously here in 2020 with uh, who knew this was all going to be happening, we're going to be talking with a woman who uh, had her own, shall we say, um, uh, uh, pseudo coronavirus. We sometimes think that we're in a life that is just ideal. Oh, man, I've often said this. I feel that I have always been in the right place at the right time in my life, uh, whether it came to jobs or relationships. Yes, I've been divorced once. Uh, never again, I'm just telling you. And, um, and then all of a sudden, something comes along and says, you know, this just... There's something missing. I just don't know what is. Well, our guest, Rebecca Thompson, is going to be sharing with us about her journey, her adventure, if you will, as she has done so in a couple of books here. Rebecca Rising, which is uh, how I found courage and uh, self-love through friendships, coaching, and conversations with the moon. Well, find out what that's all about, as well as another book uh, that is, is tied to this, uh, Sunday at 8.30. Uh, now, I don't know if that's 8.30 a.m. or p.m. We will find out. Uh, it's basically two decades of uh, life planning. And again, Rebecca Thomas Thompson is my guest. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. Richard, thank you for having me. It's my very great pleasure to be here. As I mentioned at the uh, outset of the program, you know, we all seem to reach those that, that crossroad uh, where we've been doing what we've been doing and yeah, sort of having fun at it. You know, it's been okay, but there's this, this something comes along and, 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 and nags at us and says, there's something, something missing. Uh, is that, is that basically uh, uh, the, the gist, if you will, uh, of your story of the beginning of your journey that you had this wonderful life, great career, family, husband, the whole thing, the kids, and the house and the car and uh, I would say what we might call the American dream. And then something, something changed. Talk to us about that, that initial moment or moments. All those things that you said are true, Richard. I had seemingly the perfect life and I, you know, I had um, grown up in a small town in Pennsylvania and um, raised in the Presbyterian Church and went off to college at Penn State and majored in engineering and met my college boyfriend and we got married and moved to Rochester, New York. We both got engineering jobs and we had a house and dog and started raising three kids and literally put up the white picket fence and everything was going along fine until all at once it wasn't. And my um, now ex-husband uh, at that time had started his own business and it began to fail and the economy was just in a bad place and his business wasn't going well. And so he began to drink heavily. And his clients weren't paying and so we weren't paying our bills. <laughs> so our finances weren't in very good shape. And he ended up getting a job and we moved to another state. And, uh, but, and I thought, this is going to be fine. It's going to be a fresh start. You know, everything's going to be great now. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case. He was um, pretty caught up in his uh, drinking by then and he ended up getting not one, but two DUIs, um, he lost a job, then another, and things just seem to continue to go downhill from there. Mm. So what were your thoughts during this period of time? This, well, it'll eventually get better, or 
I better start bailing. <laughs> the yeah. Looks like it's, it's going. It's um, funny you should ask that because um, I, I had a lot of different thoughts in my head. You know, I was raised in this um, small town kind of Christian environment where you, know, you, you stayed married for life. And um, so I thought that, that that was my role, you know, to stay married and I'll support my man and go where he goes and all that. And, um, but at the same time, you know, I was, I was unhappy and frustrated because things weren't getting any better. He wasn't changing his behaviors and, you know, finances were getting worse. And I was trying to keep things normal for the kids, you know, as much as I could. Um, so I, I did have a lot of conflicting voices in my head. And um, I would say, you know, I, I embarked on this, what I see now as a spiritual journey. I didn't know it was then, but I kind of was just, looking for something you know it was what yeah I, I just i didn't know where to go i didn't know what to do and so it's kind of reaching out in a lot of different directions so i'm curious as to the network family friends neighbors whoever uh where were they through all of this um depending on how close my circle was, my very, very close circle, and my best friend, Darlene, and I talk about quite a bit in my book, um, she knew what was going on all along. It was very, very close to her. Um, the kind of outer circle, you know, just neighbors and, you know, parents of my kids' friends and that kind of thing would have just still said I had this perfect life going on. And even now, when the book came out, members of my book club that I was in at that time have, bought the book and read it and contacted me and said, you had no idea you were going through all that at the time. So I was, I was keeping up the facade pretty good unless you were really in my inner circle. I remember after my divorce and getting through all of that and kind of moving on, sitting down with my parents and they said, well, we kind of knew that, you know, this was coming and this and that and the other thing. And my first reaction was, well, why the hell didn't you say something? Why didn't you, you know, uh, obviously yes. when we're in it, you know, it's like you can't see the forest for the trees, even though I certainly was aware that things were just not going the way I wanted, just like your, your experience. And my folks basically said, look, you know, it's your life and you're the one that has to make the decisions. And we, as your parents, made, have made the decision. And bear in mind, I come from a family of a total of six siblings here, five, five siblings plus myself. Can you imagine my parents getting anywhere near involved in all six relationships? I think they made the right decision to stay out of it. <laughs> For their own sanity. For their own sanity. <laughs> <Nothing exactly. else. laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's so great though, that you had their support. My uh, father was deceased by the time that this happened, but my mother, my mother endured my ex-husband. And so she, uh, you know, it continues to, why can't you get along with him? I don't understand it, you know? Yeah. Although she was aware of his drinking, you know, and she was not approving. I came from a family where people didn't drink. And so, you know, they were always a little disturbed by the level of both of our drinking because, you know, he and I would open a bottle of wine after dinner and stuff like that, and my parents did not pay. Um, but, but she did love him. And but you know, funny what you said that they knew because I, I remember telling my brother when I told my brother that he was getting divorced he said something like well that was just a matter of time or something like that <laughs> like your reactions like 
Well, I remember uh, one, and I th- believe it was possibly the Thanksgiving prior to um, the the year. Uh, I think it was ninety seven Thanksgiving. I was in the I was in my parents in law's house. We were having Thanksgiving at their house, and my mother in law basically she came up to me and she says, "I'm really sorry that you're having to go through this," because she could see what was happening. And, um, and then of course we went through the whole, whole process. I never spoke to them again, but what really broke my heart was when her father, my father-in-law, I guess you might say former father-in-law passed away. And then my former mother-in-law passed away four months after him due to a broken heart. Okay. I was never called. I didn't find out until two or three years later. When I just happened to call her, my, my ex-wife, mm-hmm. uh, just to see how she was doing, see what was happening and so forth. And she's sharing all of this. And I got really angry. Not to, not, I didn't direct it at her. I, I, just, I was seething inside. Mm-hmm. God, 15 years and nobody calls? We spent 15 years together? Well, now we've been apart uh, since 98. So it's been 22 years. Mm-hmm. But, but it's like... How, how do you spend time with someone and then have little or no consideration? Now they may say the same thing about me because of the way things unfolded back in 98. But nonetheless, I realized that all of this kind of stuff has really got to be tough, but you had an extra, we'll call it challenge. You had kids. Mm-hmm. Now were these, were they young at the time in their teens? What, what, what was the situation there? And, how did they handle all of this? Because, again, I, I would venture you probably did what you could to, I don't know, hide it or at least uh, minimize it uh, so that it wasn't as a, a, an effect on them and their schooling and, and their friends and, and those kinds of things. Yeah, um, there were a lot of challenges. When, when we first... Um when we took the first job and we moved out of state, we moved from Rochester, New York to Raleigh, North Carolina, which is a huge, a, a huge thing to do with kids anyway, right? To make a move. And um, the two older ones were in high school and the younger one was in middle school. So difficult ages all around to, yeah. to make a move like that. Um, and, uh, you know, and I had hoped it would be a fresh start, but unfortunately their father's strength and just continued to escalate. And they were aware of it. I think at first, I mean, he, he, was, he was never a violent drink if I violent drunk ever ever um what he would do is just drink so he passed out and so he'd just kind of be quote sleeping in his chair um and so the kids would they would kind of get him to say funny things he'd be sort of quote dozing or you know semi-conscious and and so at first it was funny for them he'd be like oh let's you know let's get dad to say funny things you know and then they they gradually realized this was not you know this wasn't cool um they didn't want to bring their friends around a lot you know, I think it was hard for them um, in those years that they wanted to keep their friends away from our home. And I felt bad about that as well. I'm curious, uh, here we are today. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the time frame is between then and now, but uh, how old are your kids today? And, and is there any relationship of any kind, even estranged, if you will, between you and your uh, ex-husband? Um. 
we've been apart for four years and I do not connect with him at all. I've had no contact with him for at least two years. Um, my kids are now uh, 32, 30, and almost 27. And um, they, they keep in touch with him, uh, you know, birthdays and Father's Day and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say they have a super cordial relationship, but they keep in touch with him. Yeah. So what about your family on your side? Uh, siblings, obviously parents, uh, as you say, your, your, um, uh, your father's past. But, but what about uh, uh, within the context of the relationship of the marriage? Were your parents alive and siblings, uh, uh, were they in any way, shape or form aware of and or supportive of you in terms of just, you know, getting through from day to day, hang in there, it'll be okay, things will get better, blah, 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 as opposed to, you need to leave him. <laughs> no, I probably had more of that from my friends. Uh, my mother um, was alive, but um, as I said, she really liked my ex a lot and um, thought highly of him and was concerned about the drinking. But she, I, I don't recall ever talking to her about my marriage, about it being a problem or anything like that. Um, my brother, I have one brother, but he's my only sibling. He lives in Missouri, so he's always a considerable distance from me. And, um, you know, we, we kept in touch, but um, he wasn't really aware of it. Well, he was more aware of them than I thought, because he told me he wasn't surprised when we, when we uh, announced the divorce. But, um, so no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say my family um, really was a big part of it. It was more my close circle of friends, and I do mention several of them in my book. Do you feel that that is, uh, regardless of how your relationship might be going, even if it is going well, do you, what are your feelings about establishing uh, that kind of a network of friends and uh, friends who are there not just to support you, to be yes people, but sometimes to call you on your stuff? Yes, there are different kinds of friends for different things I have found, and I have wonderful friends in every place that I've lived, and, and I'm an introvert, and I don't make friends quickly um, or super easily. It takes me a while to kind of open up to anybody, and but once I do, I feel like I make friends for life. Um, I have two very close friends in Rochester, New York, and one of my friend, Darlene, who I mentioned quite a bit in the book, and um, so we talk every week. We talk every week on the phone. Um, and so, and she's one, you know, she'll, she's very logical and she'll lay out, you know, what are the pros and cons. And when, when I was talking about whether I should leave him, you know, go with him when he's moving out of state and, or should I stay where I was and, and separate my family, you know, she got out of his paper and was written down what are the pros and cons and the logic of the situation, you know, and then I had a different friend that I went, if I just wanted to cry, you know, and just wanted somebody to, you know humor me no matter what I said and so I have my logical friend and I have my emotional friend yeah so what are some of the uh, the basic lessons that you have learned through this process of I guess maybe the best way to put this is becoming your own woman oh I've learned so many things um I would say, you know, the biggest thing was learning to love myself, um, which is a huge statement. And when I would first heard that, I would thought, does that even mean? Uh, but what it has come to mean to me is um, learning to put my own needs ahead of others sometimes. You know, that I was always the person who 
I, I, was, I always would say I kept all the balls in the air. You know, I made sure the bills got paid. I made sure the kids had everything they needed to take to school. And I made sure, you know, um, the house was managed. And I found my ex's car keys when he lost them. And, you know, I solved everybody's problems and took care of everything. But I didn't always take care of myself. So mm -hmm. sometimes um, learning to say no, um, learning to just, you know, shut off the world and throw a light of candle into the bath or something, you know, just learning self-love is a huge thing. Um, another thing I love is to trust myself, to trust my own judgment, um, which I was very torn. I think I told you earlier, I had a lot of different voices in my head telling me, and someone telling me you should stay with him, and someone telling me you should go, and I didn't know what to listen to. And um, friends were telling me, some, I had friends who did say, why don't you just leave? Why don't you? And I, I, but I couldn't, I wasn't ready. And when I was ready, I knew it, you know? So I think you just have to trust your own instincts and intuition and not worry so much about what other people think. Well, you know, my mother definitely wouldn't have thought I should leave them, you know, but I couldn't worry about what my mother thought or what my friends thought I had to, or what he thought. I was always worried he would be really angry or, you know, I was, I would never speak up about things that upset me because I was so afraid he would be angry. Um, and yeah, for now, you know, you, you just gotta, you gotta look out for yourself. You gotta, you gotta be true to yourself is what I mean by that. You gotta be true to yourself. What was the impetus for you putting this down in print and sharing it with the rest of the world? As an introvert, I would think that would have been a very difficult decision uh, and choice to make. Yeah, it's a little scary getting it out there, right? Everybody's hearing my business. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? And as I said, I had friends that approached me saying, we had no idea. We had no idea. Um, it was a little scary. And I think my kids were a little concerned about um, what I was going to say. They knew I was writing it, but they didn't really want to talk about it because they were nervous about what I was going to say. Um, but, uh, well, several reasons. I mean, I, I kept journals for years, and so I had a lot of notes. And um, uh, you mentioned the other book, Sunday at 8.30, and that's the one I wrote with my friend, Arlene. And I said, we talk on the phone every week, and um, mm -hmm. we've been doing that for almost 20 years. And that's the title the book comes from. We kind of landed on that line. That's when we talk to each other, Sunday evenings. You asked earlier, at Amber p.m. It's um, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, so it's 5.30 for me in California here. But um, we had started to write a book about our process. We, we called that book, it's about life planning. And years ago, we took a class together in life planning and we started using what we learned. And over the years, we've made it our own process, changed it quite a bit from what we originally learned, but um, we stuck with it. And a lot of people were telling us, wow, you know, you've been doing something for 20 years, you should write a book about that. So we started doing that. And um, we set goals, our, our life planning process, we set goals in a lot of different areas, whether it's our health, um, mental, career, family, all these different things in one of the areas of spiritual. So I've been going through uh, part of my healing process and learning to love myself and finding the strength to end my marriage. Um, I've gone through a lot of different spiritual practices that I've learned about. And so my friend, Darlene, that was writing the book with, said, you really ought to write a chapter about your spiritual journey for our book. So I started writing it, and uh, I said to her, I think this is more than a chapter. <laughs> it's a whole book in itself. So that's really how Rebecca Rising came to be. It started out as a chapter in the other book and ended up being a whole book all on its own. Well, I encourage people to go to, uh, her, uh, to Rebe Rebecca's website, Evolve Without Limits. 
evolvewithoutlimits.com is her website. We encourage you to go there to find out more about Rebecca, uh, as well as uh, the, the two books that she currently has out. Number one, uh, Rebecca Rising, and the other one, of course, is, uh, as you just mentioned, Sunday at 8.30. And it's uh, two decades of life planning. And it's both you, Rebecca Thompson, as well as Darlene Ryan. And you've written, of course, the other one, Rebecca Rising. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Rebecca. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Don't you go away. We've got a lot more coming up. Tell me your stories. I'll do my best to understand you. And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan along with Rebecca Thompson. And we're talking about the work that she has put out called Rebecca Rising, about her uh, journey through the same process that a whole bunch of people have gone through. And, uh, you know, you've got to sit there and wonder, what in the Sam Hill were we thinking in the first place uh, that we thought that uh, this was a good idea? It seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, Felt good. Felt right. Uh, I have to say that in my evaluation of my first marriage, uh, I realized that um, there was a reason why uh, we got married. My reason was because at that time, for some reason, I guess I needed somebody to take care of. And I almost got my wish, so to speak, Uh, because uh, it is possible, even though I was married in Arizona, uh, it's a community property state. Uh, I was actually taken to court, uh, and um, it was possible that I could have wound up with uh, spousal support for God knows how long, uh, but that didn't happen. Um, and uh, so I'm wondering, from your standpoint, what? How? First of all, how long did the process take from the time you decided, "I'm out, I'm done, it's over." until you got the papers from the court saying it's done it's over and you're out (laughs) (laughs) um it was a little over two years two years so uh, yeah what was much much longer was just my getting there that i wanted out um took forever took years and years and so i was going through this constant struggle of should i stay or should i go um there's a song in there somewhere there's a song i know right (laughs) too bad i wasn't the first one to think of that (laughs) Um, But yeah, once I made up my mind, uh, I went to see an attorney and um, at that time he was unemployed. That's what we were getting into this cycle of, you know, ever increasing unemployment because of this ongoing drinking. And um, she said, you should wait to do anything until he gets a job because otherwise you will be paying spousal support. so I tried to do that. I waited a few months. That was in uh, February. And um, in June, I think it was, I called her again and said, I, I can't, he had gotten a job, kept it for three weeks, uh, lost it. And then I was like, I, I'm done. Really. I, uh, my, the defining moment was um, I got up one morning, it was 7 a.m. and he had a beer in a coffee mug <laughs> 7 in the morning. And I just I said, you know, what are you doing? And, and he said, don't worry about it. And I said, could you honestly say that if I was sitting there drinking beer at seven in the morning that you wouldn't worry about it? And he said, well, no. You know, blah, blah. 
but um, that was that was when it was, I just I can't can't do this anymore. So um, yeah, that's I, I called the lawyer and said this I need move forward on this yeah. and i was uh, uh, sued for spousal support and it didn't take i didn't i am not paying spousal support thank goodness um but uh yeah it was it was fun for a while there but um, <laughs> well yours <laughs> went on a lot longer yours went on a lot longer than mine i was uh i, di I did not realize that it's considered a, a lawsuit i i did not know that at the oh. time uh divorce was divorce i didn't know you someone was suing you uh, and that is, of course, the legal terminology. And I was actually served on the first day of May of 1998. Mm -hmm. And I remember when they came in, it was in the afternoon, around 2 o'clock, maybe 2.30 in the afternoon. They walked in and, said, and they asked for, my, for Richard Dugan. And I said, uh, yes, how can I help you? Uh, and the gal walked up, the person, I thought it was gal or a guy, walked up with a manila envelope, handed it to me and said, you've been served. And I'm going, What? I thought I was being sued by somebody else, you know, mm -hmm. for something else. And yeah. of course, it turns out it was the divorce papers. I was actually able to make a joke even in that day, on that day. Ah, oh, now there's a new meaning for me for May Day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. And, uh, but, uh, and of course, uh, for me, the first month, uh, the May, I was just, I was in my emotions the entire month. I just couldn't think. I couldn't process uh, I couldn't believe what was happening and so on and so forth. And of course, I went to a, a female attorney whose slogan, oh, I loved this woman's slogan, <clears throat> reasonable solutions for reasonable people. Uh -huh. Fortunately, my ex-wife's attorney was anything but reasonable. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, um, and, and I was uh, helped a little by my by my parents, they actually paid the initial retainers so that I could uh, retain this woman for uh, uh, for the for the divorce process. And by January, what was it, eleventh of the following year, I had the document in my hand stamped that it was all all over. So That's from wonderful. that standpoint, it was nice and short. Yes, That's uh, but yeah. But I, um, uh, I learned a lot of lessons. Uh, one very important lesson was when you're going through a divorce, which I don't need the lessons because I'm not going to do that ever again. I refuse to divorce. The woman I am with now, I will do everything in my power to make things work. You know, I'm not going to sell my soul or anything of that nature, but I'm just saying that I am going to work a lot harder this time around because I don't want to go through that. It's just yeah. horrendous. And she was with me through that process. And she even divorced her husband during that period or actually a year or two after. And they did it so amicably. There was no attorney involved. That's it was so all, um, they did over the phone. They exchanged the papers through the mail kind of stuff, signed off. I don't think it cost her more than 150 bucks. Whereas it cost me $3,600. Uh, <laughs> It took me two years to pay it off to the attorney, you know, but these are the experiences that we go through. And I'm curious, yours is, is, is it is quite profound in one, in one sense. And I'm curious, how is your experience different from everybody else's that again, you felt compelled to share it in Rebecca rising? Um, well, 
What I started out writing about was I thought my spiritual journey. And so I, I started writing about um, the fact that I had gone to Reiki classes and um, psychics and learned about tarot and crystals and shamanic journeying. And, you know, so I'm, <laughs> and I was working, I went to a writing workshop. And so I, there was a coach that was work, working with us at this workshop and she, she said, I, you know, it's all well and good that you've owned all this stuff, but I don't really understand why. Like, what's, what's the compelling reason that you started doing all this stuff? And as I started to explore that, I realized it was about finding out who I was and finding my own power, finding my strength to wake up and get out of this marriage, which was going nowhere and not getting any better. And I was staying in there because I, I felt powerless. I felt stuck. I uh, didn't realize I could change it. I just thought, this is my life. This is how it is. And as I went through these various experiences spiritually, I started to change my belief systems and realized that I could indeed change my life and have something more for myself. And so I think that was, I wanted to share that story um, for other people who may be feeling stuck and feeling like they don't have the power to change things in their lives. So that, that was really why, um, you know, and as you said, I'm an introvert, I'm a private person. Um, you know, it's not about just having my business, you know, splashed all over the place, but it, it's more about if this can be helpful to anyone else, I would love to be able to help. You know, when I talk with um, people and they start talking about their parents, uh, their fathers, their mothers, and they start giving information about them and who they were and what they're all about and so forth, I start thinking about my father. And my father's still alive, 89 this year. My mother, 86 this year. And uh, still alive and kicking and doing very well, uh, staying in the house, not going anywhere so that they don't, they don't have any problems. But I can't sit here and talk to you about my father's inner workings per se, because he was also a very private person. I mean, especially when it came to spiritual things, not so much religious in terms of, well, you know, he was Protestant. And when he married my mother, she was Catholic. So he converted and that's how we, they raised the, us kids, but more the spiritual metaphysical, if you will, aspects, similar to what you were just talking about in terms of going to psychics and, and shamans and, and getting Reiki training and so on and so forth. I don't know that much about, I mean, I know he believes in, I guess, a supreme being, higher power, a God, uh, but I don't know the details. And in one sense, I guess that's okay. Um, my, I know that he is open-minded to metaphysical concepts, very interested in, I mean, we've had conversations, the, the four of us, my wife and I, and my parents, We've had some incredible conversations about some of these subjects, a lot of the other subjects. My wife and I are Reiki masters, as a matter of fact. Um, How are you? That's I'm curious. Now, uh, when you would go to see these different people who were giving you insight, shall we say, <laughs> was the information that they were giving you new to you or was it telling you stuff that you had already known, maybe just confirming for you, yep, you're right. You are on the right track. 
I, for the most part, it was that for the most, and, and sometimes it was things I was in denial about, but once it was placed, you know, once the mirror was held up to my face, right, then it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I should have known that, or I did know that, and I've not been paying attention, or I've not wanted to see it, um, so yeah, so many times it was stuff that really wasn't surprising that, that uh, <laughs> I either knew or should have known. So in terms of your upbringing and how does that, uh, how did you transition from your upbringing, if there was even one, uh, to where you are today? Because obviously you, you seem to have quite a, a, a fairly deep spiritual life or walk, if you will. Uh, it may not be tied to a particular group or denomination or sect or what have you, but I'm curious as to that, uh, that progression for you as you were growing up and, and maybe even in going into the marriage and so forth. Yeah, um, I think I might have mentioned I was raised uh, Protestant in the Presbyterian Church, and I was always somebody who liked going to church. I sang the choir and taught Sunday school and all that stuff. I don't, you know, you're talking about your parents, and I didn't have those kinds of conversations with my parents either. You know, church is something... You should do. Everybody yeah. goes to church. Nice people go to church. <laughs> nice people. I like that. If I had to sum up my mother's philosophy of religion, that would be nice people go to church. You, know, you don't want people to think you're not nice, so you go. Um, and, you know, she's a good person, you know, very nice lady. <laughs> and my dad was very active in the church and the community. And again, I think it was more, he's a very service oriented man. He was looking at every organization and he'd be in it for a year. And next thing you know, he'd be president, you know, the Qantas club or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it was, he was doing that. So it was all about the service for him and organization, very good organizer. But we didn't have those kind of conversations about spirituality or anything like that. Um, but, um, it was very gradual to change out of that. Part of it was I, I was very active in Presbyterian Church when I was still living in New York. Um, but I, in my career life, I started to um, become active as a diversity trainer in my workplace. And I met a lot of, I made a lot of gay friends through that. And a lot of people who told me terrible stories about being rejected by their churches, rejected by their families. And it just made me do a lot of thinking about my church and you know, I didn't want to be part of something that was that painful for people, you know, and, and rejecting people like that, because I don't believe that's what Jesus would do. Um, so when I moved to North Carolina, I kind of took a shift and I joined the Unitarian Church, the Unitarian Universalist, very inclusive, just people from all different faith backgrounds and yeah. um, does not have any rigid doctrine to follow. So I stayed in the EU for seven years and that's really, I met a lot of different kinds of people and that's where I got exposed to a lot of people would invite me to a Reiki class or, you know, dowsing class or all different kinds of things, which I had no background in anything metaphysical whatsoever. And I was an engineer, so I was very, I was more science oriented and, I, you know, so I started out thinking this stuff is a lack of, right? This is, <laughs> there's nothing to this. This is or, or people have, I'd heard of like ESP, and I was like, well, there's certain people that have these kinds of powers, but I'm not one of them. Yeah. Um, but I got hooked. I went to, a, I think the first class I went to was a dowsing class. Didn't know anything about dowsing. I thought that was to take a fork stick and use it to find water and, you know, I didn't know anything. Um, but it was, uh, you know, decision making. I was like, you know, asking the universe questions and, you know, um, 
learning the answers using the, the instruments. And, and so I, I didn't, again, I thought you had to have some kind of superpower to be able to do this, and, but I was able to do it in the class. And I just became fascinated by the movement of energy and knowing that I wasn't doing this, you know, <laughs> myself, you know, it was, it was through um, some influence, you know, some, some force in the universe that wasn't me. And so I just, I just got hooked on it and just kept going to things like that. And, you know, movement of energy through Reiki yeah. and to promote healing. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating to me. It has always been fascinating to me too, because I have always been intrigued by uh, these concepts, whether it's in A Course in Miracles or Autobiography of a Yogi or mm-hmm. books by Ramdas or uh, even some of the quantum uh, physics uh, 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 scientists and so forth, be they Hawking or Einstein, who is probably mm-hmm. not so much quantum, but just plain old physics. Um, and I heard a phrase or a, a statement just the other day. We were watching this documentary and the uh, quote was put up and I can't remember. I th- oh, it was Schrodinger, who who is quoted as saying another another one. I was introduced through Big Bang theory, but that's another story for another day. Uh, and basically, it goes along the lines of uh, there is only one mind, only one, but there are different aspects of that one mind in each one of us. Something along those lines uh, that helps to explain. The, the the diversity of human beings, eight billion of us. I can't believe we're mm. almost at eight billion. Wow! I mean, what I, I'm I have trouble with a hundred thousand people in a in a place. Although I do remember when I was in San in New York City uh, in April of 1993 with my first wife, and we were there visiting a dear friend of mine, my best friend I've known since um, sixth grade. And um, we were walking around New York, going up and down Fifth Avenue, and wound up in Central Park. Walked into Central Park, and all of a sudden, we looked off in the looked off into the distance, and we saw this crowd of people heading our way. And it freaked us out a little bit, thinking, you know, we better get out of this park. I, we don't know who these people are, what they're here for. Well, it turns out we were there on Earth Day in April, and oh, wow. that was what this crowd was about. And they estimated the crowd when we were watching the news last that night, finding out wh- what we were, what we could have been involved in. Um, half a million people, and I'm going five hundred thousand people in this place. Are you kidding me? But um, we have this diversity, and we have this great expression of the one mind that comes through each one of us, but each one of us has a different facet. Talk to me from your perspective about the people that have come and gone in your life and that aspect of the connectedness that you had, in some cases still have. I'm sure you're still connected with Darlene. Um, Tell me about that, the, 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 your perceptions of how we're connected. I mean, even with your, with your now ex-husband, he was in your life for a reason, right? Oh, absolutely. You've been able to come absolutely. to terms and put that into, shall, shall we say, for you, proper perspective. Yes. Um, 
yeah, so many places to go right now. Um, I love what you said about the one mind, because to me that kind of explains reincarnation, right? Because you know, if we're all one mind, it's not necessarily that we're physically born, you know, one life after another, but that mm -hmm. if we want to look at our past lives, we can kind of tap into that one mind and find a, a past life of someone that has a lesson for us. You know, that's how I kind of young we'll call it the collective unconscious, right? Um, but uh, as far as people in my life, and I also I also believe that we make decisions before we come here into this life about what are the lessons we want to learn, and that um, souls travel in groups, and <laughs> so we have our our uh, besties <laughs> right throughout eternity that that kind of travel with us and help us. You know, we, we make agreements with them that you know what I'm going to be kind of a mean mom to you in this next life because you need to learn about that lesson or whatever. You know, whatever it is, or you know, I'm going to be your alcoholic husband or whatever because you need to learn some, some stuff. And in return, I'm going to do this. You know, so we we it's like a play. You know, we take on the rules for the next life and and we learn lessons. So you know, if you think of it that way, to think somebody would love you that much to come and play out this role, which is not always necessarily a charming role, right? Um, mm -hmm. And you're not going to get kudos for this role. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, that somebody would love you that much to want your soul to learn lessons, um, that yeah. they would they would play that part for you. So that, that's how I look at it. So I've um, done a lot of forgiveness work um, on myself <laughs> for forgiving others in my life. Um, when there's really no, nothing to forgive. There's nothing that needs to be forgiven because uh, everybody played the part that they were supposed to play and they came to play. And so that's kind of how I look at it. And uh, yeah. And that's a hard one for a lot of people to take, especially if you put that on every person who has lived in history before us. Okay. And you start listing yeah. the famous and the infamous, as well as those who never made it out of their village shall we say that every single person was just here to play a role and again as i said before that is a hard one for people to take um i you know back in 2016 uh when i got drawn into the political campaign uh, political mindset and the minutiae and all of that it took me six months to get out of that. And when I did, the first phase of the three phases I've been through is, uh, teacher, thank you for teaching me how uh, not to behave. The second <laughs> phase was, I forgive you, but more importantly, I forgive myself for allowing myself to be drawn into this minutia. And the third phase is, what is it that you are so afraid of that it makes you speak and behave this way? I'm not asking mm -hmm. you to change. I want to understand. And so I can put you behind me and move on with my life. And that is coming from a strictly non-egotistical human uh, compassion for another human being position. That, again, that person is here to play their role. So who am I to sit here in judgment of them? And unfortunately, I fall into the same trap as everybody else. Okay, I've done it with this person, but this person over here, you know, <laughs> all right, I've got yeah. to figure out how to incorporate everybody into 
not just the national or the international, but the local, uh, you know, or on the state, yeah. level, but, you know, and that, that's, that's where the real challenge comes. That's where our real spirituality comes in. That's where those lessons really come in. Uh, have you been able to do that with your ex-husband in spite of everything that he's done? You've accepted the fact that, oh yeah, okay. That was just his role. Uh, you know, I mean, I'd like to say I have, uh, you know, transcended <laughs> to that level. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, like I say, with him or with, with other, like say, public figures that sometimes do things that appall and outrage me, you know. Um, yeah. One part of me can transcend and be like, you know, these things are all happening for a reason and it's going to come out of it and, you know, all of that. And then another part is like, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. <so> <laughs> <laughs> wow. I still have anger emerge, you know, from sure, time to time, sure. struck by something. But uh, yeah, I think that's that's the ongoing yeah. spiritual journey, right? Just you keep releasing that. Just, it comes up and you let it go. It comes up and you let it go. It comes up again tomorrow and you let it go. For me, it's less anger, more sadness. Sadness yeah. that it even happened. Mm-hmm. Sadness that I had to go through that and that she had to go through that. Uh, I mean, my God, we came together, we decided we were going to love each other. And I really felt like I was on the road to, to uh, being married as long, if not longer than my parents who are, who have just celebrated their 64th wedding anniversary this year, 2020. Um, And all of the siblings are still alive. They have grandkids. They even have two great grandchildren which of course makes me a great uncle uh, great uncle which is kind of cool because i never cool. thought that i would le- I, I and i'm not a father i have i have no children uh, but you know that's okay uh that's okay and so yeah you know you i hear what you're saying you know it comes up and you deal with it and then and you move on it comes up and maybe that's the the maybe that's that process of um of just of, of learning you think that, okay, I'm not going to get it on the first try. And maybe on the 612th try, you know, <laughs> or, or as Jesus said, forgive 70 times seven. Okay. That's a, that's 490. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, we, we, you know, we have to do what we can do the best that we can uh, and, and just say, look, you know, okay, I, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to remember that, oh, you have a script. I have a script where players, as Shakespeare said, you know, the whole, the world is a stage and we're all just, we're just actors. We're just players in this play, you know, and we all have our different roles to play to teach ourselves and to teach others. Um, you read Celestine Prophecy by James Redford? Yes. Great yes. message in there. Mm-hmm. Along these same lines, we have messages for one another. I love that aspect of it. And we are I think obligated as we learn these things that we need to follow through and give those messages to one another. Do you, uh, and, and usually it's not in a conscious way per se, you know, it's not like, okay, I've got this message I've got to give to this person because it's so important and they need to straighten out their lives. And so I'm going to give that. It doesn't work quite. I don't think it works quite like that, No. but I'm curious as to, your observations, and this is again, I know you haven't had a contact with him for two years plus, but I'm just curious, um, have you ever been in a place where you were 
able to impart to him something that made a difference to him uh, where he sort of realized his role and what he did to the family, to you? Um, I don't know a lot of that, but I did hear, I, I wrote him a letter <laughs> and he was still, it was right around the time I had asked him to move out and, mm -hmm. um, and he was getting ready to move out and I wrote him quite an extensive letter and a lot of it was um, in our marriage, you know, like I said, he wasn't a violent drunk, he just was kind of more of a, I'm going to drink so I pass out. So I felt neglected, you know, we didn't talk about things and if I did want to talk about something, he would just go, he would just leave the room and go drink, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to talk to me. So I, I, um, I, in my letter, I said, you know, I hope in your future relationships that you'll make an effort to communicate, you know, with, mm -hmm. with that individual because it, I think it would help if you could have talked about some of this stuff. And I can't remember what it was, but I, I later, I mean, like a year later, um, he came, I, I was selling our house and he had to come back and get some stuff, like out of the garage and everything. And he did say something like, he's, he was in a relationship then and he, something um, just made me remember that letter because he said something like he was making an effort to keep Communication open. You now, and there's no relationship. So, that. so, so, you know, I'm coming to Three, two, one. I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us here on the program, Rebecca. Uh, you've written a book called Rebecca Rising. Rebecca Thompson is my guest, and she's also written, uh, along with her friend uh, Darlene Ryan, um, a book called uh, Sunday at 8.30, and we now know it's 8.30 p.m., uh, and uh, we certainly hope that you will go to evolvewithoutlimits.com to find out more. And Rebecca, the one thing I want to, uh, first of all, invite you to do, uh, when we're able to freely move about and connect physically as well, uh, I'd love to invite you to Santa Barbara to continue this conversation in studio. Um, I think it's important to, to talk about these things especially in light of where we are today. Now, we could have gone into uh, one direction that I had thought about in this regard, and maybe I'll throw this out to you real quickly. Uh, the, the Me Too movement, which seems to have sort of kind of in a way taken a back seat to the Black Lives Matter movement that's really, mm -hmm. and, and I'm beginning to understand better, uh, as, as a white person can understand what's been going on, and I got to tell you, um, I, I, you know, it's, it, I just, I cannot believe some of the things that I've seen uh, on television, some of these videos and so forth. But to the, to the Me Too movement, just out of curiosity, um, how have you felt? Uh, are you feeling empowered these days as, 
are, are you the one who's in control of your life uh, more so now, of course, than you were before? Uh, did, did that experience of the divorce give you more confidence in yourself and your ability to say, you know what, I can do these things. I can Absolutely. do it. Yeah. Absolutely, Richard. Yeah, I, I definitely did not have confidence, <laughs> you know, going back 10 years ago, you know, I, I didn't have the confidence that I could make it on my own. I didn't think I could change my life. Now I know that I can pretty much do whatever I want. And uh, I would rather not be in a relationship than be in one that's um, going to be diminishing like the one yeah. that I was in. And so, um, you know, not that I don't want to be in one, because I do, but I, I won't compromise myself. And that's that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. It reminds me of uh, there's uh, probably other songs that that use the line that you know, well, if she, you know, she wants to go off and do her own thing, hey, uh, you know, go for it. I, I'm not going to hold you back. I'm not going to tie you down here. Uh, you know, you're your own person before you're my wife and I'm your husband, you're your own person. And I think that a lot of people are beginning to get that message in spite of the fact that it flies in the face of the quote unquote traditional relationship of marriage. Uh, you know, where you're supposed to be subservient to your husband. What do you think you're doing, Rebecca? You get back with that, that man and, and, and you make it work, you know. Uh, it, any more than, I mean, I stayed, uh, according to my attorney, I should have left after 10 years. Uh, I should not have stayed that extra five years because it could have played into her favor as far as that was concerned. And I thought, oh, I don't want this to play into her favor or mine. I just want it to be over. You know, I don't want to win and her lose or vice versa. I just want it to be over. I want to be free. And I know that's probably how you felt too, wasn't it? By the time I got there, right. It, it wasn't about, I didn't want anything bad to happen to him. And I didn't want to fight. Yeah. I just didn't want to fight over it. I just wanted to be done with it and just go our separate ways yeah. quietly. <laughs> I do have to say that one of the humorous parts for me in my, in my divorce, uh, I, uh, all we had was a house. We had no stocks and bonds and bank accounts in, in Europe or anything like that. We had a house. That was it. Uh, no other assets. No cars. And uh, her attorney decided that he wanted me to, um, he wanted to pose, he deposed me. So I had to go into, I'd go to a deposition that lasted about an hour and a half. Uh, and of course, my, my attorney uh, only coached me as we're walking to the building from the parking lot. She says, you have to answer the questions. But, she says, the way that you can sort of slow things down so you have a chance to think about the answer is you can answer uh, the question uh, by saying, uh, I don't understand. Could you be more specific? And things of that nature, right? Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. to get, could you repeat the question? And the funny part for me was when he asked me, about the information in one of the documents that I had to fill out, uh, income and expenses uh, document. And I had filled it out. The, the deposition was in July. And I had to fill out this document from, uh, what was it? Uh, I think it was um, June of the previous year 
a 12 months. It was a 12 month cycle. Uh, okay. So I think it went up to June of that year. And so he asked me this question. He says, uh, is, is the information in this document accurate? I said, yes. He then asked me the next follow-up question. He says, so you're telling me that the information in this document is accurate for the, la the previous 12 months? I said, no. He didn't understand. So he asked me again, he said, but you said the information in this document was accurate. I said, yes. But it's not accurate for the previous 12 months? I said, no. And that's right. It was the cutoff was June of, of, of 1998. So it went from July of 97 to June of, of 98. And the deposition was in August. Okay, You get it. You get yeah. it. I see that <laughs> on your face. And so I said, can I have him, can I have the stenographer read back his question? Said, yeah. Then I would like the stenographer to read back his question. So she did. And he didn't get it. So I had to explain it to him. And I have to say that uh, as bad as I felt walking out of there, I needed a shower bad because I, I just felt dirty. Um, but my attorney says, I have never seen anybody uh, cause an, a, an attorney in a deposition to spin the way you did. <laughs> so I got kudos from my attorney for oh, spinning funny. the other attorney. That's but I think that's one of the things that you and I would agree on. You've got to find sometimes the light spaces in there because it's a dark place to go sometimes, especially if you have, if, if it's an adversarial kind of thing. But again, I thank you so much for joining us. Um, I've got three final questions for you before I let okay. you go. Uh, but before I ask you those three questions, let me remind our listeners that you're listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. This program is broadcast at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Uh, Sundays, 1 a.m. on Mondays. And the podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and a whole bunch of other places. And you can support us through PayPal and Patreon accounts that I've got linked on the homepage as well as the missions page. So question one of the three, and you may have touched upon it during the interview, but I do like to ask the questions um, straight up front. And the first is, who is Rebecca B. Thompson? That's, a, uh, <laughs> that's an interesting question. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that one. Um, I am an evolving person that um, will continue to evolve in any direction I choose, you know, knowing that I have the power to do so. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I would like other people to know that if they are feeling stuck, they have more power than they know, they have more strength than they know, and if they want to change their life, they can, and that they're worth it. And what is your life's purpose? Um, I think my life's purpose is to help other people learn to love themselves. Rebecca Thompson, I want to thank you again for joining us here on Tell Me Your Story. It's been a great pleasure, and I certainly hope we do get the chance to talk again soon. I want to thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast podcast, love to lol.